Good news, listeners. If Cam vents for more than 20 minutes about Honda, the chair he's sitting on will electrocute him. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Bold to assume that that's going to stop me. I can only put it to the test. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 425 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. And yes, I have the episode numbers in the right order now. Thanks for asking. Um, <laughs> welcome to our LGB season preview. I am here in, in the cozy two-man booth today with Cam Buckley. How's it going, big man? Um, you know, I've been better. and normally talking about bikes would make it better but for some reason i don't think this is that day (laughs) well did you know that we're talking about honda first anyway places you can find us (laughs) (laughs) as you can tell he's as enthusiastic as ever um so we're here to get nice and cozy and talk about bikes for the next 90 minutes or so because this is our moto gp season preview the final and what I like to call the season preview season preview season. Yeah, whatever that is. And it'll be on the twenty. 20- Roll with it. Yeah, we'll go with it. Yeah, it's the 2023 MotoGP season preview. And we have a lot to talk about in this show. We've, we're going to go through all the manufacturers, all the calendar, and we'll try not to be too despondent about, a, about the state of MotoGP at the moment. We're trying, really. Like, it has been... I can't put into words how many hour-long rants Trey and I have co-opted in our Discord server just talking about MotoGP, and it just spirals from there. We're on, yeah. like, seven at this point. Yeah, this is added up. We've had quite a few of these over the last couple of months, and this will be the culmination, the magnum opus of our frustration, because... Normally, I'm excited for a season preview. Normally, I'm going to sit here and say, oh, it's going to be a wonderful time. The racing's going to be amazing. We're going to have a great title fight. I'm looking at the situation, and as an honest pundit and as an honest journalist to you listeners, I'd be lying to you if I said that I was particularly excited for this season. But I owe it to you, to be honest, um, and I will deliver it in as honest and as entertained in a case as I can. Why don't we at least try to anyway? That's that's the idea. So how we're going to do this is that we're going to go through all the major changes first, and then we're going to go factory by factory. And as our usual rules on Motorsport 101, we're going to go in reverse championship order. So Honda first, then KTM. We'll take a quick break to go through the calendar. And oh, I have some words on that calendar. Oh, boy. Oh, uh, I, I already have the deck chair prepared. Um if I have any booze left after I talk about Honda, I'll be sipping on that as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Aprilia, Yamaha, who are down to just one team, which is a weird thing to say about Yamaha. The and last Ducati. of the inline fours. Yeah, and the Ducati at the end. So if you're waiting to see our overall perspectives on the season, just skip to about the 70-minute mark. You'll be fine. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, without further ado, we'll get into our MotoGP season preview. But first, a quick place that you can find us real quick. We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. or on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. or on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you personally, you can at Dre underscore WTF1. And at CBuckley917. RJ would have been here, but uh, um, you can follow him at RJ O'Connell. He's at Sebring. 
this weekend for the I'm mad as hell and I'm I'm not gonna lie about it. Yeah, I'm, for I'm very jealous. For the brand new era of the World Endurance Championship. So uh I hope he has a good one down there. Hopefully the racing is good. Should be a should be a fun time by the looks of it. Hopefully um, no one dreams the impossible dream, climbs over that fence and flips a car at Sabring again. Th- that would be nice. Just generally speaking, let's keep all four wheels on the ground as much as possible. I know it's Sebring, so that might be difficult. But just how the hell do you flip a car at Sebring? I don't know. And, you know, hopefully we'll go more than three hours without someone broadcasting a Jim Glickenhouse rant. No promises. Anyway, well, also we're on our website, motorsport101.com. If you want to hear some extended thoughts from yours truly on the Bahrain Grand Prix from a week and a week or so ago, um, and IndyCar's opener at St. Pete, uh, apparently they're still recovering what's left of Devlin D. Francesco's car. Check that out on the website as well. And if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Five bucks gets you early access to all of these episodes before they hit the public. Ten bucks gets you that and exclusive access to the supporters part of our Discord server. We can listen to these shows live as they're being recorded. Shout out to JB and Zoe for checking us out on that one. Much appreciated. Right, get the Jim Bean cam. Oh, it's t- ripping the bandage off. It's time. Let's talk. MotoGP in 2023. So, as we said, Cam... Reverse championship order. We'll get to Honda in just a minute. We're going to make your wait just a little bit longer. Let's talk about some of the major differences um, over the course of the sport as we get into 2023, because there's been some major changes that are worth talking about. I'll get, yeah. the, I'll get the baby one out of the way. No more jumbled classes on Sunday. It is now going to be Moto3, Moto2, MotoGP in that order. No exceptions. Um, they have had a knack of changing the order around to avoid F1 clashes on certain occasions, like Silverstone. It's very common that they will put Moto3 on last. Uh, not anymore. So from here on in, it's a set order, and the order of classes now will no longer change. Um, that's one thing. Uh, front ride height devices are banned because Ducati debuted these last season, and they were they were already and it was already announced last year that they, they were going to be banned for 2023. So that's yeah, now in effect. actually was able to uh, FIM was basically able to head that one off um, <laughs> as soon as it looked like it was going to become commonplace. Yep, quite right. Uh, minimum tire pressures will now be enforced. Yes. Wait, so the entire grid will no longer be cheating? Well, depends on which race and who you ask, I suppose, but yes. Damn, I just got a notification on my phone. Meyer Shank Racing's about to enter MotoGP. <laughs> oh, wait, no, they've seen the rule. No, they're bailing it already. Oh, God, they quit already? That's so fast for them. It was almost as fast as their car was on restarts. Oh, my um, God. Yeah, um, for those of you who don't know, there was basically a, sh- a handshake agreement between all of the teams and riders to not protest one another while pretty much the entire grid was running under the minimum tire pressures last year at a couple of races. Yeah, and um, Matt Oxley was the one that exposed that to the world after the Haraf Grand Prix early last year when Francesco Bagnaia essentially won a Grand Prix on an illegal bike and nothing happened besides some minor public embarrassment. So now there's going to be standardized tire pressure sensors on all the bikes, and Dorna will now be the ones doing random spot checks 
throughout the course of the season. So, in other words, this will now be a, an enforced rule as opposed to something that everybody kind of puts, just slid under the table. So, yeah, no more tyre pressure exploits uh, throughout the course of the season, yep. we think. Uh, as far as we know, uh, disqualifications are on the board if you're caught, correct? Yep, correct. Um, we're, we're t- it's, it's a technical infringement break, so therefore disqualifications and potential point deductions um, as well are on the table if uh, something like that gets broken rules-wise. We'll have to wait and see. Um, I always say you never know what the punishment for a rule is until it's put on trial, so we'll have to wait and see if somebody takes the piss, and we'll soon find out. But we're dancing around the big one here. Sprint races. And we're not ju- we're not going uh, toe in the water here. We are going in full force, putting our back into it. Every race will have a half distance, half points down to ninth place in this case. Uh, sprint race on Saturday. Yep, 3 p.m. local time for all MotoGP races this season. We'll now have a 50%. It's 50% to the nearest lap compared to the full race distance. So that's going to be that. Um, as if for those who don't know the scoring, it's going to be exactly the same as World Superbike Super Pole race they have currently at the moment, where it's going to be 12 points for a win down to one point for ninth place. I think it goes 12, 9, 7, and then minus one down to ninth place. Yeah. So uh, that will be a thing. Uh, like I said, 3 p.m. on Saturday, free FP4 is dead. Thank God, by the way. Um, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I Very redundant. I couldn't stand the fact we had FP4 on a Saturday afternoon. It was like, oh, we've got MotoGP qualifying coming up, but first, a half-an-hour warm-up session for no good reason. So, look, I, my my opinion is still somewhat on the fence regarding sprint races. I don't think it's a terrible idea for MotoGP. Um, I think that ultimately it replaces a lot of what was redundant uh, shit in in the weekend schedule. However, the fact that politically speaking, it clearly split the room, and the fact that this is nothing more than a blatant attempt to try and steal a bit of F one's thunder in terms of popularity is pretty laughable to me. Dre, I'd almost argue that like the sprint races themselves are like the least. They're almost like the least talk worthy portion of the sprint race saga. Really, the the biggest aspect of it is how they came into being where Dorna effectively implemented this without consulting anyone because they knew they were going to get pushback. Right. Um, And as you said, it is chasing the rabbit, trying to chase what Formula One has been able to accomplish with their own sprint races. Only F1 has at least, it's been more of a toe in the water. They increase the amount of races that have sprint events by a couple every year. Well, not FIM, even that. FIM and Dorna ripped the bandage off right away. We're doing not, sprint races every weekend. I'll say it wasn't even that. Formula One tried to go from three to six from 2021 to 22, but then the teams were like, well, who's covering the bill for that, basically? And then the, they, they, they compromised and stuck with three. This is the first year they're going to have six yep. this season. Um, so even Formula One are, were clearly not all in on this idea in yeah, that sense. Yeah, it's a cost cap sport. I mean, that's yeah. more mileage on your components. That's more mileage on your power units, which, of course, especially if you ask Charles Leclerc, um, mm. more on that more on that on next week's show. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, those are limited components. In this case, uh, as we'll talk about a bit later with the raging aero war that's going on right now, the consumable component, 
might be the riders at this point because these have proven to be in preseason by far the most physical bikes that we've ever had in MotoGP um, to the point where they're causing major medical problems. And we've just increased, we we just increased the amount of mileage on people's bodies by about a third. Yeah. It's about 30, 35% more running. Uh, they they reckon roughly compared to and at full racing speed as opposed to warm ups, which they don't go at full racing speed. It's obviously more race settings and obviously race trim. Uh, these are points on the board. These might yeah. be the difference between you winning the championship and you not. Yeah, it's going to be a huge chunk. It's going to be about a third of the points potentially over the course of an entire season. So you can't afford to flunk sprints. So we'll have to wait and see how we go and how it's implemented and how it eventually plays out. Uh, For those stat nerds out there, they will not be counted as official wins. They will be classed in their own separate category as, quote, sprint wins. Have fun with that. Like Uh, a win, but less so. Exactly. It's like a half win. We'll we'll, We'll go with that. Right. I can hold back on this no longer. Let's get into it team by team. Um, or, just, or should I really say factory by factory? Top of the list is Honda. Well, uh, um, I'm leaving the room. Get back here. <laughs> You're going nowhere. Uh, Honda. Repsol Honda's factory team. Uh, it's a very different uh, Honda setup this year. Obviously, Mark Marquez back on the 93 as ever. His 10th year in the top flight already. It's alarming how fast the time has gone. And he's got a new teammate alongside him. Number 36, Johan Mir, the 2020 MotoGP world champion. The pandemic champ, as I like to nickname it. Uh, he'll be on the 36 bike as his new teammate this year. Uh, decent decent pairing, if I do say so myself. <coughs> Uh, Jesus, that's a that's a temple of talent. Yeah, and in the LCR team, uh, Takanakagami sticks around on the number thirty bike for another year, and his new teammate will be Alex Rins, the former Suzuki rider on the forty-two. The four men to uh, end last season. He went on a tear uh, to close out Suzuki's involvement with MotoGP on a few really great results, a couple of wins. Yeah, I don't think anybody scored more points in the final five rounds of the season than Alex Rins did. Um, so, yeah, he, he ended the year on fire, essentially. Um, I've got notes here for every manufacturer, so I'll get into some of these now. Um, Honda are in their worst run of form in MotoGP in maybe 40 years. So much so, they've brought in Suzuki's former technical boss, Ken Kawaguchi, or Kawaguchi, I should say, sorry, to assist in their 2023 development they need, they need all the help they can get because if Mark Marquez's warnings are true, Honda aren't going to be contending. And that's alarming for two reasons. One, Mark Marquez is in the final year of his enormous 100 plus million pound contract and he's openly expressed for the first time that he's prepared to leave for a quote, winning project. And two, everyone else looks extra struggleicious on the same bike. Seems like it could be another year where Marquez will pull off insane shit to mitigate a bad bike that no one else can handle. Good luck, Johan. And that's just it. Honda really have no excuse on talent alone, given they poached 2020 world champion Johan Mir and perennial contender Alex Rins for the LCR team. Takanakagami is still here too, and he'll almost certainly be in the hot seat again with Ayagura walking into 2023 as one of Moto2's championship favorites. Honda stink, and there's little for them to be excited about besides having a healthy Mark Marquez at 100% for maybe the first time in three years. The problem is, that probably won't be enough anymore. 
How do I expand on that, man? Um, <sighs> well, we found out today that they're, they're uh, also... So we'll get to that. We'll get hmm. to that. Not, not, not just so, the arrow, but I want to mention the fact that they are basically hiring out their swing yeah, arm to Calix. Hang on. <laughs> so, so, yes, I'll get to that in a moment. Here's the kicker with Honda, because this, has been, this is about year three of their just cratering from the top. Um... Everything they've done this winter has been a waste. Everything. Every part that they've brought to tests um, has been rejected as inferior to the bike that they brought to Valencia at the end of last year, which Marquez wasn't exactly singing about. Um, Mir and Rins look like they had just seen a ghost when they got off of it in Valencia last year. They look like, God, they look like a, a car just hit their dog when they got off those bikes. Yeah. Um, I didn't know how good they had it at Suzuki. Just <laughs> weird to say, given uh, the post-mortem on that factory involvement. Well, they're dead. I mean, <laughs> they're dead. Yeah. Yeah. They're a corpse. They're a corpse. And that might be preferable to the shambling zombie. That is Honda's racing department right now. I mean, what is good here besides the riders? Um, They've got an incredible set of riders. They have, like, the, in my opinion, the best rider lineup in on the grid. Yeah, for, in terms of like two team setups here for factories, which most of the factories here do, I think they've got the best four-man fleet of anyone in the field. Marquez, Rins, Mir, and Nakagami is an insane quartet. Yeah, on raw talent, ain't nobody blaming the riders on this one. Um, And it, it has hit the point, given that the bike that they brought to the most recent test in Portimao was rejected pretty much immediately by both Mark and, uh, and Mir. They're going to be outsourcing not only the swing arm as they did last year, but the entire frame to Calyx. Christ. Which, in Honda terms, is the equivalent of declaring bankruptcy, in my opinion. That's waving the white flag because... This is the same factory that refused to give up Showa suspension when Olin's was taking over the world um, later on in the 800cc era. This is the factory that prides themselves on doing everything in-house as much as they can. Now that's really KTM, uh, given they use WP suspension instead of Olin's because mm. KTM owns WP. Oh, they're so fucked. <laughs> they're so fucked. I mean, we know what Mark Marquez is capable of. We know Marquez has been mitigating a shaky Honda since about 2015. And some years were better than others in that time frame. But really, they haven't had the best bike in the field for a very, very long time. You can make a legitimate argument. It's now the worst bike in the field and by a not insignificant margin. To outsource the your pride and joy, other than your engine, out to Calix, who are the best at what they do. And I, if it works as well as the swing arm did last year, that might actually revive their chances. That is an admission that HRC do not know what they're doing. Yeah, I was going to say that is a deck that you might as well have said we give up. We don't know what we're doing if we're going to outsource one of the most like two of the most important parts of their system. Um, that says to me that Honda don't know how to build a motorcycle at this point. And that Honda is, Motor Company. 
the, the company the, that 20 that 20 years ago produced the greatest motorcycle that ever was or will be the rc211 v yeah um something that sticks with me very much in in recent uh recent developments with honda if you've watched the all-in documentary with mark marquez that follows his surgery last year because marquez is a fa- he is fully fit now his arm is no longer a question and he was t- trying to tie the frame of that bike into knots make trying to make it work in the test his onboards he looks like himself um, he looks like the guy who was blasting the front tire into the pavement for the last eight years, making bikes that don't work, work for him. In a meeting with senior Honda officials, he points to that huge scar on his right arm, looks him dead in the eye and says, this, this wasn't for pleasure. This was to win. <laughs> well, this, is it. Th- this is it. Like, he is willing to walk. Honda knows he is willing to walk. That admission and move to a Calex chassis tells me it, it, it tells me that they are willing to do whatever is necessary. But it also tells me that the former great house of Honda has lost their way. They're in disarray, and their disarray might cost them the best thing to happen to their factory since McDoohan. Mm. The only thing that has won them championships since 2015. It's the only reason why Honda's been winning championships was because of Mark Marquez. I he, not, he, yeah. he won the Triple Crown in 2019 practically single-handedly. Yeah, he's a freak. I've said it before. He's the, he, for me, he's the greatest athlete that motorsport was produced in the 21st century. I, I stand by this, even over Lewis Hamilton. Mark Marquez rewrote the rule book on how to ride a motorcycle. He is the pound-for-pound pound king of motorsport this century. He has won eight world championships, six of them in the top flight, and he is he, a monster. more than anything else, right? Because you know, I I have a motor. I actually have an old Honda, but I've ridden motorcycles before. And everyone thinks, you know, you get in the simulator, you think, oh, I could do that. I could race a car. And Mark Marquez, more than anyone else I've ever seen, is someone who I can watch and I go, I can't do that. Yeah. Jorge Lorenzo said that. Cal Crutchlow has said that. Takaneka Gami has said that. Five-time world champion, Jorge Lorenzo. One of the greatest bike riders of all time. Probably in the top five, Jorge Lorenzo. Top five, top six are the absolute worst. There's like the amount of riders in history that are better than Jorge Lorenzo I can count on one hand. And I don't need a second hand to count. Like, that's it. And he was like, I can't do what Marquez can do on a motorcycle. Like, this man is a freak. They gave him that enormous contract because he was the safest investment in the history of bike racing until that injury happened. And now Trey, they're in a... He, he was coming up through the field in that, in that race in 2020. He was coming up through that field going two seconds a lap faster than some people. Yeah, he went from 15th to second before before he broke his arm in that incident. He was second place and gunning down Maverick Vinyard as he was leading at the time. Fabio. Well, it was Fabio, yes, quite right. No, he, 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 he's, a, he's a freak. He is an absolute... Mo- you don't need me to... You don't need me... You know, if you're listening to us, you know it is we, already. We've t- we talked about this at length, but he has been left powerless in the face of this. Because no matter what he does on this bike, it, it doesn't do it. It doesn't help. 
He was slightly more optimistic at the after the final day in Portimao, but he he told our friends at the race that he reckons they're somewhere between fifth and tenth right now. Mark Marquez is not a fifth to tenth place rider, Dre. No. We evaluate Mark Marquez in the context of is he chasing the goat? He won three races in 2021 with an arm that was over 30 degrees out of rotation. How? On a, on a bike that really wasn't that much better than this one relative to the grid around it. Um, yeah. And you know what's funny? He's got a scout at Ducati. He's his yeah. own brother. Yeah, who, who, by the way, Alex Marquez was faster than Mark pretty much throughout the entire test. We'll talk about Ducati at length later, but... If there he wants is. any idea of what, of what, <laughs> of what life is like, be, yeah, yeah. His, his brother, his best friend, and if you watch it all in, you know how ve- they, they are inseparable as brothers. Um, he has a, a direct line of communication as to how that Ducati is. And Marcus said for the first time that he is prepared to walk. And Ducati, look, don't believe their bullshit about settling things in-house. If they have a chance to go sign Mark Marquez, they will go and sign Mark Marquez. Any, anyone but Yamaha will. KTM yeah. will back up the Brinks truck. Aprilia, and we'll talk about Aprilia at length a little bit later on. Aprilia can't fucking afford him. <laughs> Aprilia can't afford him, but if they can provide a winning motorcycle, and they just might, I wouldn't put it past him. Mm. I mean, it's it's we haven't talked about a lot of other people in that camp because there's not a lot to talk about in Honda besides that. We all know that the other guys are going to struggle because this Honda is an outlier. Well, <laughs> In fairness, during the last test, it looked like Mir and Renz were making good progress. Renz actually looked really quite at home on the Honda. But those two being comfortable were about two hundredths, give or take, around Mark, who despised the thing. They were all, those three were kind of all in a little group just outside the top ten. Right. Um... Jeez, and uh, they already have dumped a few bikes down the drain with uh, one mechanical failure for Mark and then a couple crashes for Mir. It's uh, it's not looking positive, is it? Um, going to be honest here, no. <laughs> um, it's not great, Chief. Um, yeah, like, good luck to Honda. They're going to need it. That That pretty much sums it up in a nutshell. They are this, shit. this is the most important year that they are going to have, I'd say, for their next decade. You you need to do everything in your power to convince Mark Marquez it's worth sticking around because this is a man in a, in a crossroads. If he wants to be the greatest motorcycle rider of all time, the one argument that people will have left against his legacy will be winning with a second manufacturer. And he's, he's got do a, it with pleasure at this point. And yeah. Like that's the last argument left. It's a one manufacturer sport at the moment by the looks of it. And we'll get to more on that in a minute. And he's also just turned 30 years old. He's in the second phase of his career. Now. Oh my God. Mark Marquez is 30 years old. Yeah. Turned 30 last month. And he, and this is a man who lost three years of his prime. He, he hasn't got time to afford to sit around and wait. It's that simple. So Listen, this is- he's ready to win. I think that that is, I think, the ultimate point of this. Mark Marquez is ready to win. Joanne Mir is a world champion. They have the best factory lineup in on the grid, bar none, in my opinion. Agreed. 
these guys are not here to finish fifth to tenth. No, they had a win. Alex Rins was on. Alex Rins was the man walking around on fire to finish last season. He is not here to finish fifth to tenth. He's here to win. Correct. And Takanakagami kind of lost in the shuffle here. He needs a big year to save his MotoGP involvement because I don't see if he has another year like last year. I can't see him sticking around for one more year. Ayagura is still knocking on the door. Uh, and, and like I said, I think he's walking into Moto2 this season, probably his championship favorite. Uh, if he wasn't last year, he definitely is this year. Like, I think... don't he let was the, in a race of it last year and just threw yeah, it away. Don't let the two crashes at the, end of the, at the end of last season fool you. He was running first and second in those two races. The guy is more than fast enough to win a championship in Moto2 this year. So do not... Well, we'll talk a little bit about that towards the end, but... Uh, yeah, I think Ayagura is walking into the season as title favorite. So um, Taka needs another big year to justify his to justify the funding that he's bringing to the team. And Taka was poor last year, so he needs a big season. Hopefully, it'll happen for him because I do like Taka. Right? He's a good guy, but um, he, he needs That's more than that. On his day, oh god, gosh, yeah, on his Speed day, ain't the problem. No, never has been with Taka. Should we talk about KTM? Oh, from one awful orange manufacturer to another, I see. <laughs> KTM are in a strange place. Uh, now, a lineup, there has been significant change in the KTM paddock. Uh, they still have the same leading man on the number 33, Brad Binder. The Lord. The Lord, Brad Binder. Oh, um, number 33. Friend of the show, Brad Binder. We love to see him. Um, and he's got a new teammate. He's Johnny Knoxville. Welcome to Jackass. <laughs> yes, Jack Miller um, returned. Oh, yeah. Down the grid, I guess. I, I, we'll see, I suppose. Jack Miller uh, on the 43 alongside him. And uh, the newly rebranded Tech Free team, now formerly known as Gas Gas, um, their lifestyle brand for millennials and people that are far cooler than us, uh, apparently, uh, has got two new riders on it. Uh, welcome home, Paul Spargo on the 44 bike, uh, back to back with KTM. And uh, alongside him, the sport's only rookie in the top flight this year. So congratulations to 2023 Rookie of the Year, Augusto Fernandez, everybody. It was never in doubt. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, he just blew away the competition. What can I say? He'll be on the uh, 37 bike. So if you like shades of red, um, you're, in, you're in good luck because there's going to be plenty of that on the MotoGP grid this year. Here's my notebook. It says here... Uh, <clears throat> KTM is another factory in a weird place. Remember, their factory team was second in the championship for teams last year after taking advantage of a huge Aprilia end-of-season collapse. And they've probably upgraded in the rider department with the disgruntled Miguel Oliveira gone and replaced by people's champion Jack Miller. And we all know Brad Binder is one of the world's best. So second best team of last year, two top six riders in the field, and yet... I worry. KTM have always had this knack of being horribly inconsistent round to round, and their development has always been clunky. On a good day, they can challenge for wins and win. On a bad day, they're outside the top 10. And it's that erratic form that makes them so hard to back. 
There's also Gas Gas, the rebranded tech-free team now of 100% more millennial vibes. Polar Spagro is back to the factory who's always loved the fact he can wrestle shit bikes around. And joining him is 2022 Moto2 World Champion Augusto Fernandez, the bunny rabbit himself, and the only rookie in the field. Uh, he's a talented veteran of the middleweight class, but it already feels like he's roadkill for Pedro Acosta, who should be another Moto2 title contender and has a guaranteed year of his contract left. Yeesh. And then I have to ask, when you look at their 2022 roster, i.e. last year, where their team was Binder, Oliveira, Gardner, and Fernandez, is this really an improvement? Their sketchy rider management better start reaping dividends soon, or questions will be asked. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like I say the same things about KTM every year. There's a lot of money behind this program. They have a phenomenal pool of riding talent in the sport and on the way. And they never have anything to show for it. Nope. I, I, other than Brad Bender, who is just box well, office. Well, class. One of what he is a top three rider in the world on any given weekend. Unfortunately, his bike seems to fluctuate between top five contender and scraping for points with seemingly no pattern to it. And this has always been KTM's problem. Mm. They are violently inconsistent from track to track. <sighs> the, the only consistent thing about KTM is that they're good in the rain. But now Miguel Oliveira has departed. That, that's a big weapon loss because Miggy is probably the best whatever rider in the field. Now, between him and Jack Miller, I would argue. Yeah, and Bender. Bender was phenomenal in the rain a couple times last year. Mm, mm. Um, I just, I just don't know what to think of KTM. They, they were anonymous in testing. They looked pretty much exactly how they did last year and the year before that, and the year before that. It's like they have their best ever rider pairing. Binder, we know, is world-class. Jack Miller is a very, very good bike rider. And actually, I think a lot more consistent than people, I think, give him credit for as a rider. Um, high floor, maybe not the highest of ceilings, but has been top five in the championship now for the last two or three years. He's a good pair of hands. And that is that means a lot in this sport these days. It's just... As you say, KTM's development is so wild and so erratic, and they are—they have never looked like a team that are in full control of what they're doing, and that worries me. You're always waiting for KTM to take the next step, and the next step you think comes, and they run the field over one weekend, and they have like three bikes in the top five, one of them winning. And then they crash back down to scraping for points the next weekend, and all that progress disappears into thin air. I just don't understand it. It's incredibly strange. I don't like it. Uh, it, it, it. It just breeds inconsistency. And yeah, I still can't get over how bad their rider management was last year as well. They, they made a complete Horlix of two very talented rookies. They, they had Remy Gardner and, and uh, Raul Fernandez last year, the best Moto2 team probably in history. Um, what was it? Thirteen wins between them that year in twenty twenty one. They went to war with one another. 
Like, Raul Fernandez had the greatest non-winning championship season in Moto2 history. 300-plus points, seven wins, and didn't win the title. And the two of them barely scraped any points last year on Tech 3 KTMs. Yeah. There were races where they were lapped. They alienated Raul Fernandez because they... They strong-armed him into riding their bike. They strong-armed him into him because they didn't think anybody would actually activate the £500,000 release clause in his contract, and then they cut Remy Gardner for being, quote, unprofessional, despite no real evidence as such. Odd. Um, to say this, Remy Gardner now over in World Superbikes at the moment with Yamaha over there, and Ralph Fernandez will get to in about 15 minutes' time. <sighs> Paul Espargaro is a good bike rider. I've always said Paul Espargaro is a good bike rider. The Honda experiment was a complete and utter failure, unfortunately. They rebuilt the bike around his tastes, and then it completely blew up in his and everyone else's faces. It's, it's, it's such a darn shame because, like, do you remember how good Yamaha Paul Espargaro was? Oh, he, he was uh, on spare parts bikes, which is what those were. He was giving factories fits. He was the best independent in the sport not that long ago when he was on Tech 3 machinery. And he's back with Tech 3. He's back with Hervé Poncheral again. So, you know, maybe they, as a combination, they can get something out of this Tech tech, this tech 3 KTM package. And look, Paul Espagaro did do well at KTM. There is no, there's, you can't argue that. He was very good he's there. He's a when great, he the, the Espargaros maintain their reputation as great bad bike riders. Oh, yeah. To this day. And hey, it but might end up applying here. Or, or, it might? But what's the ceiling on such a thing? I don't know. Because it's, it's it just a bad feels bike like for a reason. <laughs> it, it, it's a bad bike. Exactly. <laughs> and Paul Espargaro, Kevin's going to love me for this quote. Like, he's very good, but is he going to get you over the line? And I just don't know. And yeah. I don't, but I don't know where that line is for KTM because their ceiling fluctuates from weekend to weekend. It's he's as great a bike rider as he is. Paul Espagro has never felt like he can win a race. No, it's never felt like is this Paul Espagro's day? Like he it, he reminds me now of what of where his brother was at two years ago. Yeah, trying to get blood from a stone. Basically. And at least Delace, you can say, got there to a degree. Um, he paid his dues, making Aprilia into what they are. No question. Can I see Paul doing the same at KTM? I'm not convinced. We'll have to wait and see. And uh, Augusto Fernandez, um, don't get too comfortable, is what I would say to you. Um, yeah. uh, so it, it almost doesn't matter. You could win the championship this year, and I swear KTM would still ship him off to no scenic nowhere. Yeah, it just feel he just feels like he's roadkill for Pedro Acosta. I've said this from day it one. It feels like everyone in Tech Three seats is roadkill for the next KTM Junior rider. It's like I wonder if there was a promotion clause in Fernandez's contract that we don't know about. Because what other reason would there be to keep Pedro Acosta in Moto Two for another season? We know where this is going. We know how this experiment ends. Pretty much. You know, and I, I feel bad for Augusto in that place because he just feels like roadkill. Um, and he's a better all, rider than just roadkill. Exactly. He he was a the, very good Two of them were rider. last year. Rolo Fernandez was phenomenal. Randy yeah. Gardner was phenomenal. Both of them are gone. Amazing. Amazing. 
Like they got they they were they are very lucky they have a plan B. But this had better work out, otherwise serious questions are going to be asked about Pit Bearer and how he runs that factory. Because yeah, you haven't got anybody else now after Acosta, so this had better work out. But uh, let's see where KTM roll up. I mean, they they need to establish a baseline. Just some consistency. There are races where they are giving Ducati's factory riders fits. There's others that they are spent scrambling outside points. You need to get that floor up. You don't have to be fighting for wins every single weekend. I, I think that's too much to expect now. Although this is KTM. And they have been here a long time and have nothing to show for it. But to even get the floor up that you're going to have the factory guys in the top 10 scrapping around for good points every weekend, that has to be the minimum goal this year. The floor needs to be top sixes, given how many Dukes we've got in the field now. And a prettier will probably get interject themselves into that somewhere along the line as well. You have to be fighting with Aprilia as best of the rest. That, that to me, lo- is a, what a successful, what a positive season for KTM looks like. Agreed. Should we talk about the calendar real quick? Oh, God. I have words to say about this calendar. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to uh, get in the recliner. Uh, I'm going to light a cigar. I'm going to let you take this one. Right. Here's a rundown of the calendar real quick. Uh, season starts f- not in Qatar for the first time in donkey's years. It'll start at Portimao next weekend on March 26th. That's a back-to-back with Argentina, the uh, Terres Rio del Hondo, on April 2nd. Uh, Cota, April 16th. Then Jerez, April 30th. Then we've got Le Mans um, on May 14th. Then, for some reason, we take a month off. Round 6 at Mugello is on June the 11th this year. I have no idea why, and it's the first leg of a triple header with Germany in the Saxon ring on June 18th, and then the Assen TT on June 25th. Then we've got Kazakhstan, a new addition to the calendar, on July the 9th. Before the summer break, we go back to Silverstone um, a month later on August 6th. Uh, then Austria at the Red Bull Ring on August 20th. That is now also a, a, a uh, actually no, it's not a Actually, my bad. It's two weeks. Then, then for some reason, Catalonia is now. Oh God! Around... <laughs> what was that in the background? Screaming. Screaming. That, I really, I could just leave that on for the remainder yeah. of this section, and it would be uh, perfect. I might just keep that in. Actually, uh, Catalonia on September third. Uh, I don't know why Catalonia is round twelve. That's very I, odd that they've. I'm 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 trying to follow this with you, and I, I I'm looking in like five different directions. It's just weird. What is this calendar? Yeah, Misano September tenth. Then we've got India question mark on September twenty fourth. There's a lot of rumblings that there are legal and uh, safety concerns regarding a race at the Buddha International Service um surface such on circuit I should say sorry. Um, there's a like if, again if if you know Simon Patterson's work over at the race he's, he did a very intricate piece on that that's worth reading because it looks like India might be in some trouble. We'll have to wait and see. It's scheduled for September 24th. They've got time, so let's see how it goes. Uh, That is a back-to-back with Japan um, on October 1st. 
Then we've got Indonesia, so a return to the uh, Mandalika circuit on um, October 15th. So they've moved that from April over to October to get rid of the worst of the storms. Uh, Philip Island, God, and his racetrack on October 22nd. The best damn racetrack for bikes on Earth. Yep, then we go back to the Chang International Circuit in Buriram, Thailand for October 29th. Then Sepang on November 12th. <sighs> Qatar, and I think this is going to be a one-off, back in November 19th as the penultimate round of the season now. And then Valencia is the season finale on November 26th. It is a 21-race calendar. It is the biggest MotoGP season in history, and that's not even including the sprint races. I say 21 times 2, or times... Uh, 1.3, I, I, I don't know. It's Something like that? For 42 races, but the other 21 are half races. What the fuck is this calendar? Honestly, uh, I, I just... I... Dre... Like I, I, I have words. I have words to say about a lot of this. Dre, First, Dre as as the resident Jew, mm-hmm. um, to to make a Borat reference. Why the hell are we racing in Kazakhstan? I have no fucking idea. Besides, besides money, and the fact the tracks organizer is now literally a part of Dorna's board. Like I just did someone say Nepo babies? Big Nepo baby energy here. I have no fucking idea why we're racing in Kazakhstan. India makes sense. India's got a thriving bike market, and they have very a suitable track. A suitable track, and they have a lot of motorsport fans. It, uh, that India could potentially be great. Kazakhstan, I have, and, and no matter no how idea. Much, and no matter how many burnouts they do on the front straight, they're still not going to be able to erase those famous donuts. Agreed. However, uh, uh, yeah, this is. Why do we have a month break between Le Mans and Mugello? I don't. I don't know. That doesn't make any fucking sense to me. It's what, like what? it's it's as inefficiently constructed a calendar as they could have put together. There's breaks where there arguably shouldn't be. There's triple headers in some places. Why are you taking a month off after Haref? Sorry, after Le Mans between Le Mans and Mugello, and then doing a triple header straight away afterwards I and don't then two want, more and then because indonesia are, to thailand is, no, is a triple header and then malaysia to valencia is another triple header so we're yeah. finishing the year on two triple headers like like cam we close the year on six races in seven weeks what the fuck the 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 arm surgeons are going to be eating Tremendous. Doctor Mir is going to be swimming with his gold scalpel and 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 surgery set by the time it's all. It's going to be like twenty. It's going to be like nine. What's that? High, like twenty three carat gold plated like operating tables. I, I I just. I was going to say what what material are the screws in Lance Stroll's wrists right now? Are they solid gold? Platinum. Um, oh my god! Like the upgraded. We we increase the mileage on these people's bodies by a third. And they're the most physical bikes to ride ever. And you've constructed the calendar in a way that they get no time off to finish this year out. Yeah, if you get an injury in that second to last triple header in October, oh, you're, you're, f- you're fucked. 
You are fucked. Like, like you, six races in seven weeks. The season finale in the last week of November in Valencia, where everybody will tell you that's ever been to Valencia for winter testing. It, they call it winter testing for a reason because it's cold as dirt over there in the in, in, in the, the end of November. So, like, they, they're going to be going through ice in Valencia during that season finale. Six races in seven weeks to close out the year. Three sets of triple headers. And a month off in May f- through the first part of June for no good reason. I and can't sprint stand races it. on top of all of it. it. It's a terrible calendar. It's awful. I hate it. Everything about this calendar. Why are we racing in Catalonia in September? I I, I, I don't like. Is, is that a tire temperature problem? Hang on, Dre. Uh, you know, I'm looking at the Japan date, right? October 1st. October. Japan. October. Isn't that typhoon season? Uh, famously so. That's why we had a wet Motegi uh, qualifying uh, last year and uh, the soggy AF Japanese Grand Prix that was the weird one that decided Verstappen's second championship. Um, And could, it's the reason why we had a typhoon. At, oh my god, why? Like, can, can motorsport organizers please stop organizing Japanese Grand Prix in October, please? Can, can we hire someone who has a clue? It's, like, it's, it's more fucking incompetence from Honda, given they own Motegi and Suzuka in this case. Just stupid, stupid behavior. This calendar is dreadful. I hate it. It is a mess, and I do not envy the riders at all. Oh, right. Back to the schedule. Let's talk about Aprilia. Aprilia have now got a full fleet. They have their factory team, which is unchanged. Alasia Spargaro returns on the 41 with Maverick Vinales on the 12. But the RNF MotoGP team, uh, Razlan Razali's team, uh, now has two new riders and a new pa- a new bike because they are now powered by Aprilia's. They got rid of Yamahas at the first opportunity. Last year's. Last year's and, RSGP now. And they have two very exciting riders, Miguel Oliveira on the 88 and Raul Fernandez on Maverick's old number on the 25. Isn't that funny? Um, so, yeah, that is a full fleet oh, of God, riders. Right. Yeah, yeah, I told you it was old number. Um, I love that, like, Maverick was like, oh, they're going to take 12, have a fresh start. And then it's like, rules like, hey, <laughs> I'm still here. Um, that's, I think it's quite funny. Um, Here's my notebook on this. I said, quote, if there was one big winner in MotoGP in 2022 besides Ducati, finally completing their decade-long path to dominance, it was Aprilia becoming a bona fide contender. Alicia Spagaro was an unserious veteran of the sport who finally won at his 200th attempt last year, and it was a genuine threat for the title all the way until an engineer left his bike in warm-up mode in Japan. They've got something here, and the paddock agrees as Razlan Razali couldn't wait to get off his crummy Yamahas and take a pretty as instead, meaning they have a genuine support system for the first time ever in the sport. But this year might be the true acid test for Aprilia. They no longer have the concession system to support them. Will Aleish be a bottleneck as the team's best rider and prove this wasn't just a one-and-done fairy tale? Can Maverick Vinales actually back him up consistently in a contract year? Good teams get to the top. The best teams stay there. 
And RNF has had a heck of a glow up with a team almost as promising as their 2020 challenging year in the title. It was pretty much an open secret Raul Fernandez never wanted to ride a KTM at the highest level and is free to grow as an Aprilia rider instead. Remember, this man had the best Moto2 season ever that didn't end up with him as champion in 2021. And then there's Miguel Oliveira, the series' best whip rider and genuine wildcard, highly rated in the paddock, uh, for his talent, but never able to get the most out of KTM consistently, brackets, despite winning for them five times. If they can tap into the potential of these riders, look out. <sighs> Not wrong. I mean, I heard you like wings. <laughs> you like wings, Dre? I like wings. I like wings. I don't know Those if I like good. them on my motorcycles. No. Well, uh, Aprilia certainly likes wings because... Preseason testing, there was aero devices sprouting off of every inch of the Aprilia. They had wings on the front. They had wings under the front. They had wings on the back. They had wings on the swing arm. Oh, and they have uh, side pods now. They actually they, they took the side pods that Mercedes discarded and they actually put them on their bike. Yes. Ah, uh, they have a ground effect fairing on a motorcycle. Good Lord above. Um. The surprise title contenders of 2022. I don't think anyone would argue with that one. Um, well, they haven't really let up, have they? Because the development on that bike has been relentless. To the point that it actually caused the fibrosis flare up in Alicia Spargo's arm. And he had surgery uh, two days ago as of recording. Yes. Um, so he's kind of he's in a fight to actually recover to uh, get to the first round this weekend. Next weekend. Next weekend, sorry. Um, I think you put it really well. Is the good teams get to the front, the great teams stay there. They need to prove last year wasn't a fluke, and I actually think they're in really good position to do so because they looked solid in testing. That's still quick. Um, Aleish looked really solid until the arm flare-ups. Um, Maverick looked good. You lucked into Raul Fernandez and Mickey Oliveira. How? How does Razan Rosani keep getting away with this? Black magic. He, he's had a healthy Fab Frankie Morbidelli, a world champion in Fabio Quadraro, one of the best Moto2 prospects ever in Raul Fernandez, and Miggy Oliveira, who everybody knows is better than a KTM, all in the last three years. How? Remember when I told you preseason last year? Aprilia was going to win a race. You, you did say me. that. You did I say was that. mocked. I was laughed at relentlessly. <coughs> and they did it. They did. And somehow I think they are in the best position to be the spoil for Ducati this year. I think so too. Um, because they're like, they and Ducati are just going to war on the arrow game. Um, at the detriment of the wheel-to-wheel -wheel product, yes. Um, but until FIM steps in and does anything about this, you have to work with what you've got. And these two factories have proved that they are willing to effectively burn the racing product to the ground in pursuit of performance. Um, I just, I my actually, my biggest concern for Aprilia is actually Alesh at this point. If he's already having 
a mix of we, we thought it was arm pump. It was actually a flare up of fibrosis, mm. basically flare ups of previous injuries and scar tissue as a result. I'm worried that if these bikes are getting to the point where riders like him with a lot of mileage on their bodies might actually start breaking down under the strain of these bikes. This is this is Latest Bagaro's age 34 season. He has had, I think he's pretty close. In fact, no, he, like his, his, his penultimate race last year put him in the 300 club. There's the not, last guy to ride an 800. The last man in the field to ride an 800. And he's been here since 2004. This is year 19 for Alasia Spagaro in bike racing. And he's never looked faster. He's never looked better. Somehow. But I worry that his body might be failing him. And I, I hope I'm wrong when I say this. Because if, you, if you're hitting up with fibrosis issues before the season's even started. That, those usually get worse, not better. Agreed. And like you know, scar tissue was a lot. He he got dinged up quite badly through last season. He mangled his foot when with that qualifying crash at Silverstone. I know bike riders generally ding themselves up over the course of their careers, but you know, there's a lot going on with Alesh. And- Nineteen years, regardless of what series you're in, and in bikes, that's a lot. Um, <coughs> I mean, the, for the, players- the, the three hundred club is rare. In bike racing, there's only about a handful of dudes that have done more than 300 Grand Prix in this sport. Yep. It's like him, Simone Corsi, Thomas Luti, Valentino Rossi, Alex Barros, and not much else. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, talking about uh, the other side of the garage, Maverick it increasingly looks more and more at home on the spike. Still not the relentless consistency that Alesh has been able to show on it, but there's definitely more here than there was, I think, at any point last year. Uh, with Maverick. At worst, he needs to start back in LA shop, though. Yes, I agree wholeheartedly with that. We've Ale- talked about 11, him enough uh, on the show. You're yeah. Maverick Vinales. You were like, supposed to be the guy. Like, 11th for what Aprilia is now from last season is not going to be good enough this year. You know how wild that is? Miggy Oliveira beat him in the championship last year on a Tech 3 KTM. So it was a factory KTM, but still, that's a KTM the point. period. Yeah, like Miguel Oliveira has now joined the Aprilia setup, and he was better than you last year. Mm. <coughs> there was too many weekends last year where Vinales, you know, thankfully, didn't try to blow any motorcycles up this time. But he was very anonymous for quite a few of them. Um, he can no longer afford to be anonymous. The Aprilia is too good. His teammate is too good in this situation, um, and their secondary team. Look, last year's Aprilia, we know, was a quality motorcycle when it was running properly. Um, Raul Fernandez, you got to prove that KTM screwed up with you because you have all the tools now. He hasn't got an excuse. No. And he's, and he's, he's made a lot of them in the last two years. Whether they were legitimate or not. Well, this year's the litmus test for him. Um, and Miguel Oliveira, we've talked about KTM's inconsistency. Well, the only thing more consistent than their inconsistency was Miguel's, because Miguel Oliveira would either look like the greatest damn rider on planet Earth or just another dude uh, far too often at KTM. And again, he's got consistent equipment now. The Aprilia was pretty much good everywhere last year. Right. Um, 
So I think RNF, especially given how RNF, of course, they were the Patronus team, they cratered uh, with Yamaha as Fabio fell off uh, or as Fabio moved away from them. Well, you went from a healthy Frankie Morbidelli and Fabio Quadraro to Darren Binder and a cooked Dovi. Yeah. Well, the actually, best, in, in between that, there was a cooked Valentino. Yeah, Valentino didn't do a damn thing on that bike. And Cal Crutchlow, who might have been the most consistent thing they've had on the second team since Fabio Quadraro. Yes. I think RNF and their riders have as much to prove as the factory Aprilia's do. And for me with the factory Aprilia team, not only you have to prove last year wasn't a fluke, you have to prove you can learn from last year because they could have, and in some senses should have won last year's title. Ducati were, Ducati were awful to start the season. Yamaha were awful to finish the season and Aprilia in the middle of all of it always had pace at every track, but always had these little issues creeping in. And it culminated in them imploding at the end of the season and losing second in the Constructors' Championship to KTM, who were nowhere near them all season. Well, they lost second in the Team's Championship to KTM, and they lost second in the Manufacturers' Championship to Yamaha right at the end of the season. Um, Bikes which were not as good as theirs with riders that did not perform as well as Aleish did across last season. You have no excuse now. You have to execute. Like yeah. Alicia Spagaro was 53 points off the top last season. And if he executes a perfect season, he's giving Banyaya something to think about when it's a freeway title decider. Dre, if they, if they execute, if they don't leave a bike in warm-up mode, you know, for me, it's that. It's the warm-up mode. It's the fuel problem at another race. It's him crashing and breaking his foot. It's thinking the race ended a lap early. Um, not only Aleish, but the team itself, the people in the pit box, they need to prove that they are more than the plucky team that could. They need to prove that they are a new force in MotoGP because the bike is ready. And I do believe their riders are ready if they execute as well. Execution is the game. Let's talk about Yamaha. Just it's, it's, it's weird in here. It's lonely. It's 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 very cavernous in the here. last uh, the last of the inline fours. Now they are the last bastion of that engine architecture. Yes, the Monster Energy Yamaha team. The pinstripes are back for another year. Fabio Quattararo, 2022 championship runner-up, back for another round, and alongside him on the 21 because we like counting up round here. Frankie Morbidelli back for his third full season with the team and. Yeah, it's all looking a little strange back here. Yamaha with no customer support for the first time in donkey's years. No safety net in the team's title race if they have a bad day. It really is all on Fabio Quattararo. For all his brilliance, he has to enter the season with the burden that he blew a 91-point lead in the championship to Francesco Bagnaia last year. Can he bounce back? He really is all by himself this time, but there's promising signs that Yamaha has found some top-end speed for 2023. If that's on the table, it might mitigate Yamaha's biggest weakness, being stuck in multi-bike battles and unable to pass. It's amazing to call Fabio Quattararo a disappointment for a former world champion, but that's the weirdness of Yamaha's struggles. And it's hard to expect anything from Frankie Morbidelli alongside him. He's in a contract year and has never been the same since a freak ACL tear back in 2021. 
big improvements have to be made or he will be cut. There's already rumours swirling that Jorge Martin is on the top of the Yamaha shopping list. You know, I didn't actually write any notes for Yamaha because I didn't know what to write. Because I really don't know what to think of this team. Um, <sighs> Fabio Quartararo mm. is really goddamn good. Incredible rider. He is a really good rider. Damn good rider. And yet, it really is all on him. Because Yamaha, through preseason testing... First of all, they implemented a, a, a literal rear wing on their bike, which thankfully didn't work because it just looked so damn goofy. Ridiculous. Um, we are Formula One now, and I don't like it. Yeah, me neither. But all of their work, much like Honda, and much you know, to, to talk about the Japanese struggles now in MotoGP when they used to run the whole damn thing, they threw away their entire 2023 bike on the last day of testing, threw away their aero setup, threw away their new frame, and installed the new engine in last year's bike and had their best day of the test so far. What does that say about Yamaha? It says to me that they've been going wrong for a little while. And there's nothing that they can do because the aerodynamics war, for better and for worse, mainly worse, and the ride height devices have mitigated the inline four. For those of you who don't know, a V4 is always, always going to make more power. But it's not as easy to ride. An inline four is always going to be softer on power delivery. It's always going to be a better, a sweeter cornering motorcycle. The technology war that has engulfed MotoGP has mitigated the inline four. It is dead. Its benefits are gone and you're only left with the weaknesses. Not only do you not have the power, you don't have the power to pull all that arrow. It's just slowing you down in a straight line. You don't. The best thing about having all that horsepower that Ducati and Aprilia have is they have the power to pull that arrow through the through the air. Right. So it, it, the effect compounds with Yamaha, where they can't go apeshit on aerodynamics because it will just slow them down overall. And the benefits of their bike, this bike that they have they have arguably kept the M1 the most similar to its original self more than anyone else through the entire four-stroke era. It started as an inline four in 2002, and it remains so. Um, much of that DNA still remains. There's nothing they can do. This feels like the limits of what they can do. And I don't know whether that will be enough. Like uh, it's, it ripped the bandage off. It's not going to be because are we, last are we year, sure? yes. Are we I, sure? Because Fabio yes. Quattararo nearly won this championship last year. Yeah, because Ducati were awful for the six races to start the season, and they still did. The, you can still make a very phallic case that Fabio had a had a good shot to win this championship. He blew a ninety-one point lead. The biggest ever lead in MotoGP history. And most of it really wasn't on him. He just got outgunned. And Ducati do not have the problems they did to start last season. That's the problem. Like Ducati are rolling in. We're going to talk to them in more detail in a little bit. They're rolling into this season as confident as you possibly could be. They're trying to play it down, but they know they've got 
the best bike in the field now. There's no argument. The GP23 is already better than the GP22 ever was. And the GP22 is a damn good bike. But I don't see how Yamaha can overcome the weaknesses of the bike. And the fact that Fabio is not, Fabio is great, but Fabio is not, He's not a rider of just that relentless quality who's just going to go out and bulldoze through the bike's problems every minute of every session through the he's whole fallible. year. I don't he think- is fallible. Absolutely. He's not bad. Like, this is not me saying he's bad because he's not. But he's not he's not that invincible force that's going to drag a bad motorcycle all the way to the promised land. No. He makes mistakes under pressure. He's not the best. He's not the most canny rider wheel to wheel. And that really hurts with Yamaha because they do not have the horsepower to fight in a bike-to-bike battle. No. Maybe they found something to help mitigate some of that this year, but... It didn't look like it in preseason. They looked better, but they were still getting lit up to the tune of 8 kph by the Ducatis, the Aprilias. I mean, Mark was faster on the Honda, and the Honda's spinning its rear tire all the way down the straight because the one thing the Honda is good at is that it has a monster of an engine even if it can't get the power to the ground um the inline four is it's it's chains around yamaha's chances at this point frankie oh god i miss i want frankie to do well because when before the injury he was giving people fits Mm mm-hmm and he's just he's just not who he was. Yeah, and uh, partly that, partly because he's one of the few genuinely good people in bike racing as well, and he's a, a fantastic ambassador for the sport. He's one of the few people that actually gives a shit about social Dre, issues. In as an well. echo chamber of doing nothing that this sport has been in this world of change we now live in and have lived in since the pandemic, Morbidelli's been one of the only voices in this entire section of motorsport. Agreed, 100%. He's one of the good dudes, and he's a very, very easy guy to root for. Um, And who isn't rooting for a guy that just hasn't looked like the same since his ACL tear in 2021? He's he's, he's, he's just not come back the same rider, and it's it's so sad seeing him struggle. Um and, and look, Frankie knows it. He, he's he's done interviews with the sport and other places since he knows he's not going to get another chance. This has to be the year. He's got. He's openly talked about having to change his entire riding style. He's got to gotta find something. Yeah, he needs. He's got to find something. Otherwise, he knows he will be fired at the end of the season. And there's not going to be a lot of. Uh, there's not. There's not going to be a lot of teams that are going to be bending over backwards for Morbidelli mm-hmm. when Moto Two looks stacked this year. If, if this if he doesn't make this his year, we've probably seen the end of him in MotoGP. Just, I'm in, I'm inclined to agree. And, and this is the same rider who beat Fabio in the championship in 2020. Yeah. Came within a race of gunning down Mir at the end to win a world championship. 2020 championship runner-up, Frankie Morbidelli. And he has been... And first part of 21 trying to get blood from a stone on a two-year-old Yamaha that was just past it and then destroyed his knee. And look, I have, I have a bad right knee myself. Throwing my leg over a bike is not easy uh, anymore. And uh, I'm 25 and I have a bad <laughs> knee in my right, bad right knee, but he just, he can't manipulate the bike the way he could. 
he can't work it with his legs the way he was able to in 2019, 2020. Um, and I don't know how he does going forward. I and want yeah, him to. I want him to. Me too. Massively. But that's the thing. They're going to want to bet. Like, now where they've got no customer teams, they now have to get a second better rider if they can't. Like, honestly. I'm say his data isn't worth much now because of the way he has to ride the bike. Yeah, honestly. I can't believe I'm saying this. The perfect rider they should sign next year is Johan Zarco. You need a floor raiser. God, that feels weird. Um, am I wrong? I don't know. I don't think you're wrong. It just feels weird saying that. But yeah, because Zarco is going to be the guy who's going to get. He's going to get 99% out of that bike and bring it home and bring you valuable data because Yamaha no longer has any data. They're the only company soldiering on with this engine design on tires that don't support it in a, a, a hostile technical environment. Yeah. An incredibly. environment that has that has obs- that has made the inline four obsolete. They need data, and they're looking at Jorge Martin. Look, Jorge Martin is as fast as anyone I've ever seen on a motorcycle. Immense talent. Do not get it. Do not get it twisted. He <laughs> is speed, but he, his consistency is not. There is none there. I was like, it's it, it's the rider that Yamaha want. It might not be the one that they need. Just throwing that out there. Should we talk a bit about Ducati? Well, we've talked about them enough so far. Well, the fleet is back. There are four teams headed into the MotoGP 2023 season. The factory team, the Lenovo team, the reigning world champion, and the return of the number one plate, Francesco Bagnaia. The first time in 11 years we're seeing a, a number one plate in the top flight. The last time we saw that was Casey Stoner back in 2012. Ah, uh, it was sweet memories his new teammate the number 23 and in pink anaya bastianini the beast um what a team that is by the way uh yeah it's it's raw talent up the ass jesus christ yeah it's incredible it's like it's like banyaya and then baby banyaya and and that's like one of their four teams where all their teams have at least one quality rider or at least has potential to have a quality rider with it is their second worst rider in all of this alex marquez who's been giddy on that bike every time he's gotten off of it you look at their depth chart, I would make a valid case that Alex Marquez is their seventh best rider. What? <laughs> and he's had a shit-eating grin every time he's climbed onto that bike and every time he's climbed off. Yeah. He, he's going to be better this year. I've got no doubt about that. The rest of the teams, real quick. The Prima Pramac team in purple, uh, if you like purple. <laughs> Johan Zarco on the number five bike and Jorge Martin back on the 89 and disgruntled that he didn't get the factory seat. He is pissed he didn't get that seat. <laughs> Um, channel it into more thirst traps and pole positions. Yes, more pitches with strippers. Who doesn't like? Wh- wh- why not? He's a, he's a huge fan of that. Apparently, more of his own nicknames. Yay, Grassini, uh back in the Palmer Violet, as I like to say, the uh, Aquamarine. Uh, the uh, return of Fabio Di Giantonio on the forty-nine bike, and then Alex Marquez on the seventy-three. Their new replacement for Enea Bastianini. And then the Mooney VR46 racing team with the number 10 of Luca Marini. And uh, last year's Ricky of the Year, number 72, Marco Bezzecchi. 
Just a note, Grassini and Mooney are on last year's bike. They'll be on GP22s, whereas the Ducati factory team and the Pramac team will be on 23s. Just worth no, more, uh, no more point fives this year because uh, Ducati's preseason testing has gone good. Yeah, they're all happy. Uh, notes here. Welcome to hell, Blofeld. Um, Ducati last year finally... Don't understand this reference. (laughs) James Bond. Um, Uh. Ducati last year finally completed their long goal that started in 2015 with the GP15. They won their first Triple Crown since Casey Stoner in 2007. For them, it's now about building a dynasty, and it's likely going to be an infight between themselves for the title. But I'll get back to that. The GP22 teams are strong of their own right, mostly. Alex Marquez is obviously a downgrade for Grassini compared to Enea Bastianini, but he seems happier than on a Duke than a Honda. No, no shit. Could be a surprise if he adapts quickly because we all saw glimpses of his potential on a Honda at times. Mooney have a solid team. Bez was Rookie of the Year last year, had a pole in Thailand, and challenged Banyaya for the win at Assen. <laughs> Marini was in the top six a lot towards the end of last season. Wonder if Yamaha might be able to convince Yusio to leave them at the end of the season. There is talk about this. Apparently, they're like, like there are there is pushings from the big man to get them on a Yamaha because uh, you know Yamaha brand ambassador and all that. Um, well, each- uh, trading a Ducati <sighs> for a Yamaha. Uh, Bold. That is a strategy. I don't know if it'll work out for him, Cotton. Yeah, Uchio, um, the other, like he's running the team, um, and obviously Rossi's best friend didn't seem too keen on the idea when asked about it. It was like, well, really, we've, we've got an agreement till the end of the year. Let's see what happens. They, they, they were playing this down. They don't. I, I don't think Uchio wants a sweet. He's on a championship winning bike right now. <laughs> Why the fuck would you want a Yamaha? Anyway, um, I'm starting to get the feeling that the Pramax bottleneck might be their talent. Both riders have great upside. Both are great qualifiers. Both can compete at the very highest level, but both also have tendencies of crashing under pressure. Martin's already asking questions about leaving after being snubbed for the factory seat last season, and Zarco's kind of just there, really. Kind of just been there for a while. Then there's the factory team, where there's a strong chance the true battle for the title will come from. Francesco Bagnaia came back brilliantly to win the title last year, but had five DNFs, the most of any MotoGP era champion ever. He's vulnerable. And Anea Bastianini, who we know it is best, can beat him on last year's bike, could be the man to do it. But he's missing his crew chief, Alberto Girabola, who's left him to head to head over to KTM to support Jack Miller. Walking into the lion's den on your own is no easy task. I feel like it's Banyai's title to lose, but stranger things have happened in this sport. Well, how do we sum all this up? Um. Anyway, your 2023 MotoGP World Champion will be... Number one? Uh. Well, you know... It, it, it's hard to look past this team. Ducati are a... They are a wagon... They're an armada. Um, It's a fleet. They they have the two best bikes in the field, this year's and last year's. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. Um, So good, they brought it back. Um, They have just monstrous raw talent on all four of these lineups. 
Pekko Banyaya and Bastianini, I don't, no further explanation needed. Jorge Martin might be faster than both of them. One of, Zarka, on, on a, one of his days, he might be faster than both of them. I don't know about the consistency because there isn't any. Same for Zarko at times. And, and, and Zarko, fast. I, the weird thing with Zarko is that he's very consistent until he's fighting for a win, and then he just falls off the bike. That's exactly that's exactly it with Zarko. If you need him to finish, like, you know what it is? If he you will so rack he- up a third-place podiums with abandon. You right. ask him to fight for a win, he's tumbling end-over-end end with his bike on fire 50 feet away. He has the most MotoGP podiums of any rider in history without winning. 15 he's in never going to win a race. He's had 15 podium finishes in MotoGP. He's never won a race. 15. That's crazy. And it's not like he hasn't been in position to do so. He's had plenty of chances. And, I mean, Grassini, look, Alex Marquez, I I keep saying it, he looks so happy to not be riding a Honda this year. Like like the cat that's eaten the canary. It's like Sylvester with Tweety's feathers out of his mouth. As he walked into the room, <laughs> he, looks like, he looks like the Grinch grinning as he hatches his evil plan. Oh yeah, he's so uh, happy to be there. Yeah, and, and I mean, to get that one over Mark at dinner time when he's at home. <laughs> hey, uh, how's the Honda, bud? Punch. <laughs> and then uh, DJ Antonio. He's the only real question mark I have, just because like there were there were flashes last year, but a whole lot of nothing otherwise. The flash was Mugello. The flash was Mugello. He looked really good at Mugello. I was an idiot and picked him as rookie of the year last year. Fat, yeah, that didn't go so well. Oh no no no! You didn't pick him. I picked him. For we both of the picked year. him. Did we? I think we both picked him. I definitely picked Fabio. I admire your honesty in being honest about that because I know I definitely picked him. Did not go well. <laughs> and that didn't go well. <laughs> um, and the um, VR46 team, look, both Marini and Bezecchi, second half of last year, they look like two of the most solid riders in the sport. There you it, go. I got it from Jason in the chat. You picked Remy Gardner last did year. Did I? You did. I just could have sworn. I, not either way, it didn't work out You so well. and King both picked Remy Gardner. I remember that now. Hmm. Whoops. <laughs> None of us picked well. No. <laughs> Jason keeps the receipts. Well done. Um, you put someone on a Ducati and they're going to flourish in the sport. That's just how good Ducati is right now. Yeah. It's fast. It turns. They made the bike turn and it still turns. You know, Jason, Jason, you got to go back through the episodes and list off all the times where we just said, yeah, this Ducati just doesn't turn. Hundreds. Hundreds, thousands. And yet it does now. And it stops better than anything else. And it's still just a bullet down the straights. Not only because of its horsepower, because it can get that power to the ground. Um, It's hard to look past this as the overwhelming championship favorite. Easy to get the power to the ground. Let's not forget, uh, Jorge Martin rode a MotoGP motorcycle at 226 miles an hour last year. Hey, yo. <laughs> Was it 363, I want to say, kilometers per hour as MotoGP um, Speed King, as I think they called him now? Um, stupid uh, well, speed. I remember, I remember throwing that little tidbit in the gym cord, and the entire event chat stopped. <laughs> And like five, it was like a six-way discussion going on, and you could have heard a pin drop in there. 
226 miles an hour on a bike that weighs 160 kilos. Huh. Uh, in open air. Fucking terrifying. Um, yeah. Um, and the most amazing thing with Ducati is that what Peko's been able to do with this team is get them to understand maybe horsepower isn't the thing they need the most, but making that horsepower rideable. They did it last year, and it worked to great effect once they figured out the electronics on that bike. And this year, again, it's not so much that it's faster, it's that it's rideable, it's usable horsepower, and it's a usable chassis. It's... It's what the RC211V was 20 years ago. You put someone on it, they're going to be able to get to the maximum of what that bike can do relatively quickly. And the maximum of what this bike can do is it's the best motorcycle in racing right now. David Emmett said it might be the best Grand Prix bike ever. Mm. And David knows the game better than almost anyone on the planet. Mm. Better than me. I don't know. I will see on that one. We have a season to run. That's why we run these races, because if we ran them on paper, we wouldn't need to. But it's hard to look past how devastating their testing form was. Peko broke the the Portimao track record by over seven tenths. He was the only man in the one minute 37s around Portimao on a motorcycle. That's bonkers. It's complete. That's completely ridiculous. I'm not like, how is that possible? Um, I, I, I don't understand that the, 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 this team, this this bike is stupid. We are looking at one of the greats of Grand Prix bike racing in terms of how good this motorcycle is. Banyaya is the best in the world right now at maximizing that. Bastianini is a again a, a phenom of a talent. But again, he's kind of firing blind here now. He's in the factory lineup and is going to play second fiddle to the band champion. I think he will miss his crew chief. Very I think he much will too. So. I think so. I think the biggest the biggest concern with Ducati is to that effect: can they maximize it? Because last year they didn't, I and mean, they still won the championship. But they were really patchy early on. Uh, when they had to basically scrap the 23 bike and move to a sort of hybrid between the 23 and 22, or 22 right. and 21, sorry. Um, and even then, Peko threw away a lot of results throughout the year because he never knows when to just take the points. No. Even when he was taking the points, he was still taking risks. He just wasn't taking as much as he could have. Um, cause he did somewhat in Phillip Island when really, I think, I think Rids had him covered regardless. Um, cause damn, that Suzuki through, through the opening section of that lap through shapes, but still, we're oh, nitpicking. that's so good. Uh, we're, we're nitpicking here. This bike is incredible. This team is incredible. The champion the riders are incredible. The, 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 the champion will almost certainly come from one of the, the one of these eight seats. Probably Banyaya, I reckon, personally. But we'll 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 get into that in the final set of questions before we get out of here. So I I, I went for the RJ O'Connell method of uh, some fun questions to put in the what we call the Jenga block of predictions we have for the year. So let's see how we go here. Question number one: How many different riders? How many different winners will we have in MotoGP this year? I'm gonna say seven. I'm thinking less. 
Um, I'm, 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 okay, I'm going to look at the guys around me and think who's going to win a race. I think Bagnaia will win a race. I think Bastianini will win at least one race. I think <laughs> Martin will win a race somewhere. I think Quadraro will, will, will probably win multiple races because Yamaha are still very good around for certain tracks. Mm-hmm. If there's a wet race, some uh, Marquez will still win one of his signature rounds. I say Marquez, I, I I still can't put it past Mark Marquez to not win multiple races this year, even Co- on that thing. Cota Saxon ring, he's virtually unstoppable. Yeah, I think Aleish will win a couple races this year. <sighs> I do. I, I I can feel it, and I think Brad Bender as well. You think you think Bender might sneak one? I think he's he's good enough. KTM will have one token round where they look like they have the best motorcycle in the world. They always have one per year. I'm going to say six. Bagnaia, Bastianini, Martin, <laughs> Quattararo, Marquez, and I think Binder will sneak one. Either Binder mm. or Oliveira will sneak one in here somewhere. I say, if we've got a wet race, Oliveira, book it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've got a feeling a pretty might go winless. I think I think their rider lineup and their bike is too good for them to go winless this year. I think the opposite. I'm not sure they're good enough. Mm. Mm. It's interesting. It's interesting. We'll see how we go. It's like we. It's Variety like, is the spice of life. As we it say. is. It is. Um. It's like we. It's like the over under was set at six and a half by accident, and I've gone under, and you've gone over. Um. Interesting. Uh. How many races will be won by riders not on a Ducati? So non Ducati wins. How many? How many I'm, races we got this year? Twenty one. We're not counting uh, sprints. We're not counting sprints. Seven. I think it's a good guess. I think that's a good guess. Seven, maybe more. Depends how things shake out across the year. See, the thing is, Ducati's got eight bikes, and they're all strong, but how many of them can actually win a race? (laughs) Fucking all of them, Dre. Did you swatch last year? (laughs) The, The terrifying thing is, is that Bez winning a race would not be a shock. <laughs> like, the only person on a Ducati where I would be shocked if they won is somehow Johan Zarco. <laughs> <laughs> and winner of the Masato Grand Prix, Fabio DG Antonio, everybody. I, I, um, I, would, I would see him winning a race before Zarco. But oh, damn it, Jesus. Zarco will finish third to fourth every other round. I'm going to say five. 16 Duke wins over the year, I think. Oh, Lord. I think Banyai wins eight or nine, uh, and that will take over half the calendar, or nearly half the calendar alongside. I think a factory Ducatis will probably win about 13 or 14 rounds, Mm. something like that. I think anything under 12 wins, and I think they'd be disappointed with with that rider lineup. And Martin has to start putting together some weekends because he is too fast to keep walking away and to be empty-handed the way he is. If he's in his prime potential, he'll win win three or four, I think. But will he, or will he set pole by by a a quarter of a second or half a second and then throw the bike up the road after three I don't trust him. Any man who gives himself his own nickname, I don't trust. And you're right to. You're right (laughs) not to trust him. Exactly. Right. 
Who wins the Moto 2 and 3 titles? I, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I haven't even kept up with Moto 3 this year. Moto 3 is the quiet one. I've got a good shout for Moto 3. I think Moto 3's world champion, I think Ayumu Sasaki will win the title on Husqvarna this, this season. Crazy boy. I don't know enough, so I'm going to go with your pick. I think Ayumu Sasaki... I would say the main threats this year are Ayumu Sasaki for Husqvarna. I think Dennis Onchu for Red Bull KTM fronting that team. Ah. I think Dennis Onchu will... I think I think this could be the year for Dennis. I really do. I think he took a big step towards the end of last season. Um, I think it could be one to watch. Will Jal Messia finally put a full season together? I wonder. Because um, he's been around too fucking long. I'm going to go with no years. on that. <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. I would also say keep an eye. Scott Ogden for Great Britain in the Vision Track. Like Scott Ogden looked very good in testing, I must say. Um, it looks like Ogden might have taken a step forward. There could be... I'm not, I'm not going to get too beaty sport about this. There could be some genuine British hope this year in Moto3. Ogden oh, looks here fast. we go. Just saying. Terminal terminal nationalism. Me. You're, you're, you're saying me. <laughs> the, the least national nationalist out here, okay? Um, I would say keep an eye on them, and I would also, you've got to say David Munoz on the 44 as well for Bo Motorsports is one that's definitely worth a look. If he, if he can put together some of the form he had when he debuted last year, David Munoz will be one to watch. Uh, right. certainly as well. So I would say them for Moto3. I would say Ayumu Sasaki, I think, is probably favorite on paper. Uh, the crazy boy, as, uh, as, as Van Man nicknames him. Moto2, mm. it feels like Agura versus Acosta. Ah, mm. uh, man. But the funny thing, I checked with the bookmakers. You know, the, you know who the bookie's favorite is right now? Go on. Alonso Lopez. And that's, that's not a bad pick. It's, a, it's not a, a bad solid pick. pick. It's a solid He's pick. He's been nothing but quality on the in the junior category so far. Some sort of fucking strange Spanish cloning experiment with him. Honestly, <laughs> I don't know where they keep finding these dudes. It's it, there. Spain is just a factory for brilliant motorcycle racers. It just is. Um, I'm gonna go with look. If he doesn't right the wrongs of last year, I'm gonna be really pissed. Give me the Agura surprise. Agura surprise for the title. I would say maybe I maybe I'm giving him too much credit from preseason. I've just got a feeling Pedro Acosta is going to take a big step forward and Acosta will win the title. We said that last year when he was fastest in preseason, and then he had a fairly anonymous year. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I didn't uh, think he was going to win the title. I thought Acosta might be like top five last year, but then I'm pretty sure I, I, I was leading towards Agura last year. I think we all were, honestly, yeah, and, 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 yeah. and rightfully so, right up until the last two races where he was in contention and ready to take home the title and just threw it away under pressure. You were, you were like an idiot. Look, I think Moto2 is low-key stacked. You look at the names in it. Speed up, I've got Alonso Lopez and Fermin Aldeguar. If Aldeguar takes a step forward, like he did towards his, his debut last year, Aldeguar could be one to Scary man. Very, very high upside. Tony Arbolino, I think, has, has gone under the radar a lot for Mark VDS this year. And I think, look, again, he's almost cursed on a VDS because it's, like, it's him and Sam Lowe's, and they will find ways to not win this title. Like it's, I would it, say Arbolino last year... 
they didn't really talk about him a whole lot, but he was always in the fight, in the dust up for the wins. Absolutely. Always in the fight for podiums. And won two out of the last four at the end of the season. Like yeah. one in Thailand, one in Malaysia. Like Arbolino could be, I think, the under the radar. Like if you if, if you're a betting people watching this, throw some money each way on Tony Arbolino. I, I think that's a solid bet right there. Celestino Vietti, if he doesn't bottle it again, high upside rider certainly. I'm very curious to see how Sergio Garcia gets along at the Pons team alongside Aaron Canet. He is that- a missile. Garcia is reckless as fuck, but the man can ride a bike. Um, he's fast as hell, as is Aaron Canet. Will this be the year that Aaron Canet finally puts it all together? Uh, we'll have to wait and see. And oh, look out for some kid on an Aspar called Izan Guevara. Just, just Once throwing again, that missile, <laughs> missile, Aspar team. Guevara and Jake Dixon might be the best team in the sport this year scary team we all know dixon is good enough to win races on his day um dixon if you just please for the love of god stop crashing stop crashing and you are going to be very good in this sport i promise um the the speed is there with him certainly um team asia again agura and chantra two solid riders there dennis foggia for a taltrans is worth a look in as well alongside joe roberts that's a strong team as well We'll be curious to see how well Darren Binder gets along as well at the Husqvarna team as well. Um, he make, he'll be making his Moto2 debut. And if you want, um, for you Brits out there as well, keep an eye on uh, Rory Skinner, uh, probably the brightest prospect to uh, come over from the British Superbike ladder. So keep an eye on Rory Skinner, very, very talented kid representing the Irish out there. And the new OnlyFans American racing team. What a name. Uh, you love to see it. Um, hopefully they'll be taking a pull in the right direction. Um, oh, my. Uh, uh, and, uh, yeah, of course, Red Bull KTM, Pedro Acosta and Albert Arenas. Decent team. <laughs> Decent team, as you do. So say, honestly, Moto2 might be the most exciting category this year. It's stacked. Uh, there's like 10 dudes who can win races in this class, I reckon. Wrong, like, don't get me wrong. Moto Moto2 is always really good. Of course. This year especially, I think, has a fantastic grid. Right. Question. Who's championship runner-up? That's the fun question for you. I thought I'd throw a curveball in there. Because mm. I think I know who we're going to pick for, the, for, for who's the championship winner. Oh, do you now? I think so. Just to be different from every other pick out there, Francesco Francesco Bagnaia will finish second. What? <laughs> well then. Well, fuck. Okay. Um, interesting. I don't believe in. I don't believe in my own pick, but it's it's okay. Anaya Bastianini for me. Mm. There you go. And your MotoGP World Champion for twenty twenty three is. Well, yours is Pecco. Absolutely. I've seen him do some shit on a bike, man. You're going bestie, aren't you? I'm not. I've Ooh. seen him do some bullshit on a bike. You're not. I'm still... I still am going to believe in this rotten factory. 
<laughs> and I'm going to pick Mark Marquez. <laughs> you crazy man. <laughs> wow. Um, I-, I will buy you a Mark Marquez diecast if he wins the title after this one. Holy oh, shit. That belief, belief upped. <laughs> We're putting a diecast on it, folks. Um, so, um, so do I have to buy you a Peco diecast if, uh, if you always wins? Sure. Alright, uh, virtual shake on it. Virtual shake? Yeah, I mean... That's a brave pick, I'll give you that. I, 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 if I, he I, is if uh, he is 100%, there is shit that I've seen him do on a bike that would beggar belief. And I know this bike is bad, and it is. And I don't know if the Calyx frame will fix it. Although I think it will help. But at the end of last year, Marquez was putting that bike on pole. He was getting podiums on a bike that did not deserve it. If it is better at all, and he is physically fit. God damn it, try. He will will give it the old college try. He will tie that bike into knots. He will bend the laws of physics to try and make it happen. He will. He'll find the way because that's what Marquez does. Crazy, man. And for me, the only chink in in Peko's armor is that consistency. And Marquez was the same way. Marquez famously was the same way. If he had stopped throwing the bike up the road trying to win races that he couldn't in 2015, he probably still wins the title rather than being out of it by half uh, halfway through the year. And I just wonder if Mark can win where we know he's practically invincible. And he can mitigate as much of the Honda as he can where he can't, where he can't win. What pressure does that put Ducati and Pecco under to try and get as many points as possible? Good question. I think because Mark's strongest rounds are at the start. Argentina, America are two of the first three rounds we get. Look, he had the bike he had the bike crap itself on the grid in Coda and he still warred back up through the field. On a bike, on an arm that was a thirty degrees out of rotation. You still believe, don't you? <sighs> we you are still, all witnesses. You still believe. I admire you. I admire the size of your cojones for that one, Buckley. I'll give you that. I, I, it I, is I this hill it. that I choose to die on. For if I live, I get a die cast. It's a fair shout. Uh, <laughs> okay, and there's a die cast on it, folks. You heard it here first. Uh, Moto GP, the opening round of the championship, Portimao next weekend, March 26th. Uh, well, we're not going to pretend like we're massively enthusiastic for this, but we can only hope, I suppose. May the good Lord bless us all. But uh, if, until we get to Portimao next weekend, let's get hyped for the Moto Two World Championship, baby! Woo! Uh, that's where the real hype is this year. Oh yeah, uh, 
at Dre underscore WTF want to follow me on Twitter. Cam is at CBuckley917. Follow him on Twitter over, over and all that. Motorsport 101 for all the coverage. Race reviews will be on there as well from yours truly over the course of the season alongside everything from F1 and IndyCar and just whatever else I feel like putting up there every once in a while. Uh, but all of that and more on the site, motorsport101.com. Do check us out if you get a chance already. Thank you very much for listening in. We'll catch you in just over a week and a half's time for the MotoGP season opener in Porto Alba. We'll be back for Formula One in Saudi Arabia. Uh, and Charles Leclerc is starting from 11th at best. What a way to start the weekend, baby. Until then, I've been Dre Harrison. He's been Cam Buckley. Thanks for listening. Sayonara. I'm not sorry. Of course you're not sorry. You're the, Mar- the biggest Marquez nut hugger I know. Well, besides yourself. Good point.